Ciao, hello everybody. This is Kerry Tennyson. This is podcast number 19, October 29th, 2020. This one is about apathy, which I didn't know is an actual psychiatric uh, diagnosis, you know. I thought it was just a state, but I did my due diligence and read briefly a couple of um, articles on the web but legitimate articles, scholarly articles written by legitimate people about apathy, the condition of apathy, which is associated with depression, but is not the same thing and has different um, symptoms and, and a different profile. But uh, apparently, and again, you guys got to remember, <laughs> I'm no doctor, right? I'm no doctor. I'm just a writer. Uh, but um, apparently can sometimes follow depression. And um, the letter writer today mentions that she had struggled with depression for a few years before entering this uh, troubling state of apathy, which I try to uh, look on the bright side. Um, No, all kidding aside, uh, I do find it interesting to look at supposed pathologies as problem-solving uh, operations on the part of the, the human spirit. So while uh, advising her to um, look into the possibilities that this is a troubling psychiatric diagnosis with some uh, available cures, I go into, uh, well, I hypothesize as I'm known to do. So I'm going to dive right in because it's already late in the day here in Italy. It's it's dark here. And thank God I'm not writing about the election. You know what I mean? Thank God. And I'm just, I'm just praying and I feel like, I feel like I'm a kid and Christmas is coming and I remember one time Christmas was coming and I thought I was going to get a shiny new bicycle and instead I I didn't exactly get the bicycle that I wanted. So I I know how tough it can be to um, build up expectations. But anyway, we're all in this together. We're all in this friggin' COVID rowboat together. Me and Italy here with... European countries increasingly, uh, you know, uh, shutting down or shutting down partly, and and Italy with its really alarming spike, and and us currently in a state of uh, semi shutdown. Restaurants closing at six. Uh, the swimming pool is closed. Oh my God, my oasis. Anyway, here's the letter, and maybe I'll you know, ramble on some more uh, as we go through this. Dear Carrie, I used to read your salon column religiously and was sad when it stopped. Frankly, I had no idea you were still doing advice via your own website, so I am thrilled to have discovered this. And as an aside from me, Carrie, I'd just say probably a lot of people don't know I'm doing this, and if I were better at promotion. So feel free to tell your friends, okay? Feel free to tell your friends that I'm doing this. Okay, letter writer says, I have a question about apathy. For years, 
It has been my most loyal companion. I have dreams, visions, I have talents, all of which fall short because I simply do not get around to anything. Most days are spent wandering in a haze. For a long while I thought I was simply lazy and beat myself up terribly, but I don't think that is the issue. I think fear is the thing on which my apathy feeds, fear of both failure and success. For a few years I struggled with depression, but I no longer feel depressed, yet my apathy is still around. The question is, how can I snap out of this? I am 38 years old next year and have seen my peers both catch up with me and then overtake me with both their personal lives and careers going swimmingly, or so it seems. Meanwhile, I'm without work, without love, without hardly anything. I feel like such a loser and desperately want my life to change. But how do I stop this apathy? How do I snap out of it? Many thanks. I nicknamed her Dolores in a haze. So here's how I answer this letter. And please keep in mind that I just drafted this. And it's been harder than some things have been. But uh, here we go. So I say, Dear Dolores in a haze. And you get the reference, right? Maybe it's a bit cheekier and poor taste but um you know Nabokov was such a huge uh, force in my life um dear Dolores in a haze first I feel bound to mention that apathy is a psychological disorder and this phrase links to a scholarly article on that Apathy is a treatable condition distinct from but related to depression. If you have not seen a professional about it, I suggest you do so. There may be solutions available to you that will give you much happiness and relieve you of your worry and concern. Now then, not being a psychological professional myself, I would like to speculate about the possible meaning of this apathy. I would like to suggest more broadly that sometimes what might be diagnosed as a specific psychological disorder is also a strategy of the self, a strategy of the self to deal with intolerable conditions and conflicts. I don't know about your case, but I would like to suggest that what you call your apathy could be, among other things, an expressive act. You say your apathy has been your most loyal companion for years, so it is worth asking, what benefits does this apathy bring? What does it allow you to avoid, for instance? In what way is it the solution to a problem? Let's postulate that your apathy is a protection against something. From what do you need protection? You say that you wander in a haze. Perhaps you need the freedom or the permission to do this wandering, to pursue the sort of life goals that you say your peers are attaining might curtail this wandering 
That's assuming that this wandering is in some sense vital to your spirit. And it's at this point that we exit the medical realm and enter the realm of my hypotheses about the human spirit, the soul, the search for identity, the sacred. Could this apathy, this refusal or inability to engage and strive in the world, could it be a protection against the defiling or violation of a closely held belief or of your essential nature? Perhaps it is your essential nature to dream, to live in a netherworld of half-vision, half-sensation, in a culture of striving and work, to be such a person would be dangerous. For a person whose peers are all doing impressive things, it would be challenging to remain aloof from the striving, to endure the suspicion that you are not keeping up. You may envy your peers, but take a look at what they are doing to get what they are getting. You might want what they are getting, but do you want to do what they are doing to get it? It's possible that you envy their success, but their path may not be your path. It would be risky and perhaps unkind, however, to come right out and say it. They're your friends. You don't want to criticize what they're doing. You don't want to say that you can't imagine yourself in a million years doing what they are doing, that you don't want that kind of success. It may be that you feel authentically what a job really is, a commitment of intolerable servitude that requires you to pretend to care about things you don't care about, to strive for things you don't really want, to pretend to like people you don't really like and value things you don't really value. Perhaps the real you, the deep you, recoils at the idea of doing what your peers are doing. And so in this apathy, you find safety, even if it appears like a kind of social failure. I'm thinking here about the sacred, we ourselves rarely know ourselves as sacred beings, but as a set of functions, requirements, and responses to conditions. Therefore, when some possibility threatens us, we can sometimes only present mute defiance. I mean, when some possibility, some threat to our sacred self threatens us, we sometimes can only present mute defiance because we do not know quite what it is that threatens us or indeed quite what it is within ourselves that is threatened. This is a process that takes place below the threshold of consciousness for the most part. Unless we are deeply meditative and aware of ourselves, unless we have spent years uh, trying to get to know our deeper selves, all we can tell in the moment is that something like that striving, something like that 
life that is so sought after by so many, we can only know that for some reason it's not for us. Hence, the fears you mention. In this case, the fears may well be serving a purpose to keep you from entering into an intolerable situation, to keep you from buying into the striving life that so many of your peers have bought into. No wonder you have tried. You have not tried hard to win at this competition if the prize is something you don't really want. More work, more advancement, more of the same, only on a more respected level, with more money and more supposed admiration, but also more envy and more backbiting, climbing the ladder. So I suggest perhaps that kind of success is not what your true deep nature longs for. So I suggest that for a time you concentrate only on your dreams, visions, and talents without regard for where they may lead. Try to simply enjoy them and nurture them for a period of time. And thank your fears for saving you an intolerable and potentially fatal alliance with the devil. Ha <laughs> ha, the devil. Now, to do this, for you to do this, to just concentrate on these dreams and visions and ignore for a while the practical implications of it, it will require some faith some trust that is going to work out. So I pray to you, I beg of you, find in yourself some faith, some trust that this will work out, that if you take the time to introspect and live with these visions that you have, find the faith to trust in those talents for the time being and listen for direction. Watch for signs where to go. Have faith that this will lead you where you need to go. And let me say that where you need to go may not look like where you think you need to go. This is the path of life. It's, much of it is baffling. It's an instruction. It's a riddle. We press on. So... Here's one thing I personally learned, and one way that I personally had to change in regard to my creative capacity and my worldly ambitions. Um, so for years, I suffered with my own failure to put my creativity to work in a profession that would pay well and bring me material rewards. I suffered with this for years, wanting more, wanting success, wanting recognition, wanting to be told that what I was doing was of value, which was basically wanting to be told that I had value. And finally, I realized I had it backwards. I had to reverse the relationship between myself and my creative capacity. And I had to find a way to 
give myself the value that I was seeking uh, to be given by others. So like I, who had been Lord and Master over these God-given talents, these talents that were given to me freely, I didn't work for them. I didn't work for my ability to write in English. I was raised in a very literate household and perhaps even genetically I have one of those brains that is very verbal you know but I was acting as lord and master over these talents and I had to reverse the relationship and become instead the servant of these capacities I had to give up trying to be the star and instead be the humble nurturer of these um, talents, which sort of had a life of their own and had a will of their own. I joke here, I had to uh, serve, I had to serve at breakfast in bed. I had to give it paid vacations. But I did this. I quit seeking fame through my writing and began to practice my craft only in obscurity, while I, playing the grown-up in the equation, went to work on the streetcar every day, humbly, to make a living. So, while I wanted fame, my talent had to be left alone, not hurried, not exposed to criticism or expectation, not not panicked. In this sense, my, my talent was like my child, and I had to be the adult. This process, which I've written about other places, and was during this period that I was working a humble corporate job and riding the streetcar every day and writing in my journal, this, this process led to some deep change. It took time and effort, but it did lead to a fundamental change. So much of the, I'll just say, the um, analysis, it took place in a private journal that I was writing in on the streetcar and which my talent was allowed to unfold in its own peculiar way. And it was not really analysis that happened in the writing. It was the development of a style, and it was the development of a habit of accessing the images and imaginings that were there waiting uh, at the door, at the stage door, you know. And there was trust involved, self-trust. I wasn't going to distort what emerged in my dreamy writings or make it pretend to be something it wasn't. And I should say, for me, this servitude to my own craft was a kind of penance. Because before, I had tried to break my talent like a stallion. I had tried to tame it and control it. I had sent it out on the stage to pretend to be brilliant, cutting, scholarly, intense. This exhausted it, my talent that is. My soul did not want to mimic literary heroes like Thomas Pynchon and Norman Mailer. It was actually my particular voice that had to be nurtured. So, 
The prize is the self. The self is the prize. So while a therapeutic model would suggest a cure for this apathy of yours, and it is about time that I got back to the letter writer, isn't it? I want to offer this idea as well, this suggestion for you to interrogate this apathy, interrogate this haze, speak with it, ask what's its purpose, what is its meaning, have a dialogue with it. And I would ask, how do you feel when you're in it? Do you feel safe? Are you protected? And what happens when this uh, apathy begins to feel like a prison? Rather than fight it, I would suggest listen to it. What voices are going on in this haze of yours? What color is this haze? Is it a purple haze? Sorry, I am of a certain generation. Um, can't, can't resist an occasional uh, thought of Jimi Hendrix. So listen, one more thing. And this is about the social context in which this is happening. Let's put this apathy in the context of a society that is driven. I'm assuming you're uh, American or British, European, but that you are in this, this striving, driven culture of, that I am also a product of and which I have come to critique now that I've been five years in Italy where the priorities are a little different. Um, I, in fact, I believe that deep down, many of us sense that this society that is driven to succeed, that this society uh, is beginning to resemble a suicide mission. And we, we sense this, that our whole assumption about an ever-expanding economy is fundamentally wrong and we're starting to sense that in the planetary uh, global climate change we're beginning to see the f some almost suicidal effects of our own social structure and I just want to emphasize that your battle with this apathy is not only internal but you are in conflict with the world, that there is a battle to be fought outside of yourself, that your own apathy, your refusal to get in there and strive with the rest of them is a kind of resistance. And if you make this resistance conscious, um, you could find benefits as resistance training strengthens muscles, social resistance strengthens the self, the individual who must assert herself against forces arrayed against her. And the presence of these forces is sometimes hard to detect. It's, um, it can be conceptual. Uh, your first resistance may be against the obvious armies of repression, but as you begin to be more subtle, you will find that in resisting, you accomplish an outline. You define the lines of your 
soul. You place yourself in relief against this force, this external force, and you, by that action, become more defined. You clarify. What is the self at the core? What does it look like? Social resistance is self-saving. That is the great secret of rebellions and movements. So enumerate your dreams, your visions, your talents. Nurture them. Here's something I do in the writing workshops that I lead. I um, sometimes say, let's have a dialogue. Let's have a dialogue. Each of you, each of us, have a dialogue with our own internal creative self. Let's check in like a mother or a caring servant. Or yeah, the dialogue might be something like, um, hey, creative self, how you doing? How am I treating you? What do you need from me? What are your complaints? Where am I failing to give you what you need? for a full creative life. Yeah, and invariably, the creative surf self answers. <laughs> That's funny, the creative surf. <laughs> the creative self will often answer such a call, and it's fascinating to see this happen, and it's been helpful to me uh, at times to find that my creative self needs certain things that I have not been supplying. So, um, give that a try. And um, I think that's, uh, that's it. I just want to say this is sort of sum it up. The, the self is the prize. The prize is the self. Um, Yeah, and, and, and that's that's it. Um, that's it for now. I, I've got to get this thing, you know, up and uh, done. So, um, ta-da! See you next week. Ciao.